A lot of people don't even realize, though, that you can have provision. I don't know why I'm saying this, but this is true. You can live absolutely in a place of absolute confidence and supply with the Lord, but unless you choose that, you might not receive that in that season. Deuteronomy 30, I set before you today life and life and death. You know, a lot of people like, you know, when somebody dies, very common thing for believers to say, well, well, the Lord took them home. I want to suggest to you that the Lord doesn't take, doesn't take a lot of those people home. They actually choose to go. <laughs> so anyway, so that's a different story. But you actually, so the reason that, that our choice plays important when we can see the provision, when we can see from God's perspective on truth, then you can choose that truth, and it might not change overnight, but it begins to change the landscape of the world that you live in, because you're an inside-out person. Some people think everything that they need is out there. You know, if, if my spouse would get right with the Lord, my life would be better. If I had more money, my life would be better. If, you know, whatever it may be, if I had a better home or, or if my kid would just do what I want him to do, somehow my life would be better. And they're looking at externals when everything in the kingdom of God begins from the inside out. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. And so part of what God is trying to constantly teach us, and he, you'll, you'll see this modeled in the life of Jesus in how he, he came to earth and how he trained the people around him, even though they didn't quite get it. So I'm, I'm very encouraged when I read the gospels that the guys closest to him when he walked on the earth didn't always get it. The important thing is they kept following him. They, in fact, didn't even get things he said until after he left the earth. I've been there like seven years after God told me, oh, I got this now. Oh, good. Finally got that part. Good. The important thing is that they stayed the course. But he would say things, and his constant, his constant theme was trying to teach them how to live from the inside out. That's why he would be in, um, you know, he's teaching in a place, and his own family can't get in. I'm convinced, and a lot, of, a lot of believers would think Jesus was like a, a cruel pastor, you know, because he's in America, at least, you know. Like, he's teaching, and they're like, they're like, your mother and your brother are outside, you know. Like, they didn't, he, didn't, he didn't, like, tell Peter, like, go ahead and get him the nice seats up front, you know, because I'm here. He's just like, these are my mother, these are, these are my family, those who hear my word and obey. One of your best friends is dying. So he stays two more days and teaches because he's not moved by that realm. It's not that he was cruel. He was never cruel. He's, he's like, that you, like, that's an even more interesting thing, isn't it? He's the epitome of love. He is the full, you can't get any more loving than Jesus, but they accused him of stuff. We have to redefine what real love is. <laughs> it's really interesting. I found that, that when you really obey God, sometimes you'll be, you, you'll, you'll be accused of being unloving. <laughs> uh, that was my intro. Uh, our subject today is, well, I just say that because I, I believe the Lord wants to give us some understanding today. And um, wisdom and understanding are just, just, they are so critical and so needed. Not only like, in these unprecedented times, but just in any time. It, it's, it's the fundamentals that define us in unprecedented times. Like things, there's a lot of things that really don't need to change like in the life of a believer in the middle of a 
quote-unquote pandemic. (laughs) The word of God, the voice of God, and what has God told you to do? I mean, those things don't change, you know, because uh, the Bible didn't change. But uh, I want to start because I want to uh, use this word that the Lord gave me in going into 2020. Usually before uh, every year, sometime in the fall around this time, actually it was around this time last year, the Lord began to speak to me about 2020 and it was 2020 and beyond. I'm just going to share part of that too as an intro to where I feel like uh, there's a theme that God was, keeps emphasizing to me in this season, and we're going to talk about that theme today. Uh, but here's part of the, the word. Mes- I see messengers running together in this season as never, de- never before. I saw a map of the United States and God connecting apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teaching and teacher, excuse me, moving together as one in the body of Christ to form one river and one sound in the earth. This will be a season of one sound in the earth. I'm reading this now, I didn't even realize what the Lord asked me to do when we stood up. It's very important that the people of God speak what God is saying or else it won't take place in the earth in the right season. This will be a season of divine connection in the body of Christ. And there's this constant theme that I've had since that time, and it's this, that this is a season in the earth where one of the things that has to take place and it is taking place is that the people of God will, become, will come to the forefront of what God is doing. What I mean by that is, We've had different expressions, especially over the last 120 years since Azusa Street, of God bringing uh, truths and emphasizing things through different moves of God. At the turn of the century, you know, Azusa Street, Los Angeles, Holy Spirit comes, started in Texas, Holy Spirit comes. There was mass healings if you read Bartleman's book on it. But the emphasis of the truth that came out of that was people could be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. And if you, if you watch the, what God did over the next hundred, uh, probably since that time, since the turn of the century, excuse me, you'll see that different moves of God came into the earth and they brought different truths in the earth and within those truths being emphasized, God would restore a ministry office to the church. It doesn't mean that they weren't operating throughout church history, but in mass emphasis, he began to emphasize. You, you kind of, and this is a very quick survey of this, you could teach all day on this. You, you, you go on to the 1940s and 50s, there was the the office of the evangelist being restored. And these evangelists, they were noted for miracles. There was a group of evangelists actually called the voice of healing. And many in the voice of healing purchased tents. And one of the reasons they purchased tents is there was not enough, there were not buildings big enough to capture the crowds happening. There was no mega churches back then. And, and, and because they were quote unquote spirit filled, a lot of them were not the most educated people. And the emphasis was you could receive physical healing and, but the also emphasis was on the office. Many, especially Oral Roberts, if you watch some of his tent meetings, they would introduce him, please welcome God's man of faith and power. And he would spend hours praying for people in those lines. Sometimes, um, 
think of the Syracuse crusade one year. He, uh, he prayed for people for like, he announced the night before I'm gonna pray for everyone and I think he prayed for like seven hours or something one time and he slept the next three days. So the emphasis was on not only the gift of healing but also the office of the evangelist being restored. And then the 60s and 70s we saw God began to move in uh, mainline denominations, <clears throat> excuse me, Dennis Bennett, Episcopalian uh, pastor, was touched by the Holy Spirit. Uh, <clears throat> he's got, he had a famous book called Nine O'Clock in the Morning, excuse me. And I believe it, it, it was the time he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. God began to move among the Episcopalians and Methodists. And you can see a famous picture from Notre Dame Stadium of Catholics worshiping the Lord and having, this, having experiences and getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is, in many of these things that God would begin to do, that those who God touched in the previous move of God would be some of the biggest critics of what God was doing in the next move of God. Pentecostals were very disturbed that God was baptizing people in the Holy Spirit who drank alcohol. That's right. <laughs> so that, that's always really interesting. The, the famous story when God began to move in the Jesus movement in the 60s and 70s, and I believe we're in another Jesus movement. They, in the 60s and 70s, you know, uh, Chuck Smith, they came to Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel and they were upset because all the hippies were coming, they were messing up the church and they said, we're leaving the church, you know. So he had all these, said, and then, uh, then uh, probably 60, 60 uh, late 70s, early into 80, 85, we had the office of the teacher restored with uh, Derek Prince and bringing truth and, you know, they got, they got a little wacky in some of the things they did, but it, 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 often what will happen is, you know, a truth will be, be restored and it goes really a certain way and then God just helps bring adjustment. In the, in the early 1900s, some of the people who were baptized in the Holy Spirit because it was happening to some of them, they believed you didn't need to learn the other language when you were going to another nation. You could just get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, it worked for like two of them, but they made it a theology. It didn't work for everyone. So there's always, there's always these little extremes that, you know, there, there's always adjustment that needs to be made. But the office of the teacher came and then eventually... Uh, it came into what we know as the Word of Faith movement uh, with uh, Brother Hagen, and then eventually uh, Brother Copeland began to teach. And um, if you really uh, listen to the core of what God, and it was the office of the teacher, you know, uh, uh, Brother Copeland, he, he came many years ago to uh, the Charlotte Convention Center, and he would teach three and four hours, and people would listen, and, and tapes came out back then, and people were listening. And if you listen to the truth that God was teaching, prosperity was just a small part of that, but because, uh, you know, uh, in a lot of spirit-filled circles back then, they thought being poor was godly. Well, the gospel's free. Well, the preacher needs to eat. <laughs> and so uh, they, they were teaching, but if you listen to what they were saying, it was the, it was the, it, the, there was the emphasis on the individual authority of the believer and the word of God because there was, there was a prevailing thought among many spirit-filled people then that you could only get healed if you felt something or there, there was an anointing for healing in the room. And that's true, but it's not always true. Sometimes you just stand on the word of God. And thank God, thank God we know that today. Thank God I don't have to wait till I, I, you know, another, another leader prays for me so I can get healed. It might happen that way. That might be the emphasis. But the truth was the authority of the believer and that you didn't have to accept everything as the will of God. 
that the word of God was the will of God. You know, not everything happening in your life was the will of God. So the authority of the believer. And then probably somewhere in there, almost at the, maybe at the edge of when God was emphasizing that truth, we had the, what we refer to as a modern-day prophetic movement. One of the people who spirited that was Bishop Hammond. And he would go into spirit-filled churches, and sometimes there'd be three, three or 400 people there, and he'd say, I'm going to prophesy over everyone. And the Pentecostals would say, you can't prophesy. You've got to wait till you feel it. He goes, watch me prophesy. And we'd give accurate words. And he moved from there because he was activating the gift of prophecy, individual prophecy. He went from there to begin to train people in that area, and the office of the prophet began to be restored to the body of Christ. And then the final one seems to be would be the office of the apostle. That God began to, and again, it doesn't, wasn't mean that these offices did not exist in the body of Christ, but they were coming. God was reemphasizing that truth. Re, it obviously doesn't go beyond the Bible, but it goes beyond what was the accepted understanding of truth. And, I, and, and you, might not believe, you might not understand this historically, but this is actually one of the greatest times to be alive for the people of God. Amen. Historically, the church, there's never been this many people born again in the earth right now. And there's never been, uh, to me, such understanding by the people of God of what is made available to us by God. It doesn't mean we don't have challenges. It doesn't mean we don't need upgrades. But here's the thing. That, here's a word that the Lord told me about 40 years ago. I was preparing to teach at this conference called Reformation. He goes, I only have one plan, and it's through the people of God. My body. The body of Christ is like the presidency of Donald J. Trump. Lots of dysfunction. He's working on it, but it's God's choice. (laughs) And I'm convinced Donald Trump became president to show a lot of believers how religious they are. (laughs) Like, how can God, like, he's had three wives and this and, you know, like, like, God, God's still with you. <laughs> See, often we like to think somebody else's sin is worse than us. In fact, be very, very careful. Like, I can't believe they did that. I'd never do. No, you just never had a chance to. <laughs> What's interesting, and I'm, I'm not an alcohol drinker, but some of the people who can't get very mad that other believers drink, they're very overweight. They don't see the irony in that. (laughs) It's all sin. It's all heart issues. Got quiet with that one. It's right. It's absolutely right. It's good. So the emphasis now in this season, there's never been an expression where the emphasis was the people of God doing the work of the ministry because that's always been God's goal. It's always an apostolic emphasis. So hope you brought your Bibles today. Hope you uh, are gonna take notes. First Corinthians, you'll see that this is not a small emphasis by the Apostle Paul. This is a apostolic emphasis that he emphasizes in his epistles. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many Members, notice, many members, 
one body. There is only one ecclesia. There's only one body of Christ in the, in the earth. Now, sometimes there, there can be confusion with that because, because we have a tendency sometimes to think that if something has the name church on it, God birthed it. So just get that idea out of you. Like a, a, a body or a local expression of the ecclesia is, is only something that God has birthed through divinely ordered men and women who birthed that, that work. That's what qualifies someone. And I say that because sometimes I hear people say, well, I am the church. No, you're not the church except without other people. You know, it's like Paul said, <laughs> be like the arm saying, I'm the church. No, you're not the church. You need the rest of them. You know, can't function without other people functioning. For the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized in one, into, into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, having been all made to drink into one spirit. Then he emphasizes this again. I'm reading out the New King James. For in fact, the body is not one member. There's what I just said. The body is not one member, but many. Romans chapter 12. Again, I, I'm reading these in unison because you'll, you'll see this is not a point that was minor in his teaching to the churches that he, he was the apostolic founder of. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than you ought, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. I love this because it emphasizes this biblical truth that God is always a source of all things. In Romans, in the chapter before that, he ends it by saying, well, he didn't end it. He knows he's doing chapters, but he says, in him, through him, and to him are all things. We do not do anything for God that resides within ourselves. Everything we do for God, he is first given to us as a gift and then he rewards us for what he gave us the power to do. It's a really good kingdom. Amen. For as we have many members, one body. But all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, individually members. Now, now catch this, this is really important. Individually members of one another. Now, just to pause here to give you a little understanding of Paul's worldview. Paul is obviously a Jew who understood the Old Testament and the law like no one else. I believe there's a very distinct reason that Jesus excuse me, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit chosen before the foundation of the earth to do the work that he was called to do. And it was because there was a prevailing apostolic worldview that God wanted to present in the epistles. And it was this, that we know that Paul is especially zealous for God. And the reason he is persecuting believers at the time that he has his encounter with the Lord is this, that he believes they're out of order. And he says, we got to stop this. And he is so zealous for the things of God that he's willing to kill them. So you'll see, some, you'll, you'll see a characteristic in there that you can, you can have a characteristic that God has given you, but if it is not under the lordship of Jesus Christ or being matured properly, it can be especially destructive to people. So he is, he is, uh, he is on his way to persecute believers 
and the God that he is zealous for, he actually encounters the God that he is zealous for. So he's on his way, we know. He gets knocked down. He's with other people. He gets knocked down because the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. <laughs> it's like one of those Western lies we tell people. So he knocks him down, and he, he go, he, he's like, what's taking place? He goes, and God tells him, basically, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. The one that you are zealous for, I, I am actually him. The one that you're persecuting people for, I am actually him. And he goes, oh, my bad. And the reason I'm saying that is this. The reason Paul was trying to follow the law so closely was he wanted to hasten the coming of the Messiah. He wanted Jesus to come. Why? Because he had been taught his whole life, which was correct. He'd been taught his whole life. When Messiah comes, <clears throat> there will be an inbreaking of the kingdom of God here and now upon the earth. And when Messiah appears, he opens up heaven here and now and there'll be an invasion of the kingdom of God here and now on the earth that breaks into the age we come it's not going to be in full measure but it'll break into the age we come and you get to join this revolution of bringing the reality of heaven to earth during the time that we live in Amen. that the reason I'm saying that because that was Paul's worldview Paul would not understand if you told him, and I'm not even saying this is bad because we have different cultural expressions. Paul would not understand leading somebody in a prayer and telling them they're going to heaven one day. He would not have an understanding of that. What he would have an understanding of is you repent, receive Jesus as Lord, and now you're part of this invading army bringing the kingdom of heaven on the earth, into the earth, here and now. That's what Paul understood. He would not understand this. He would not understand, hey, say a prayer so you can go to heaven one day. And that was part of the confusion. See, the early church had some real challenges because most of them were Jewish believers because it was a natural understanding Jesus was the Messiah. So they didn't think that they were converting. Paul, when, when we think about this concept, I don't know why I'm saying this, wasn't planning on it, but here we go. When, when we think about this, it is, it is a misunderstanding to think that Paul thought he was being converted. He was just receiving the Messiah that was promised to him since he was a little boy. Amen. He would not understand this concept, I'm converting to be a Christian. He didn't understand that. What he understood was like, oh my gosh, the Messiah that I've been, pro I didn't know who he was. That's why we have to pray for the Jewish people's eyes to be open to the Messiah. They're praying for a Messiah that's already come. Amen. So the problem becomes now, early, and, and here's why I'm saying this, because most of the early believers, we know that they were Jewish and they continued to live practically as Jews receiving Jesus as the Messiah. They did not, they weren't calling themselves Christians. They didn't know that they were, they didn't know that they had started a new religion. We did that later. <laughs> And so part of, the pro part of the pressure that they got was a lot of people during that culture, it's like, oh, they're just, they're just Jews. The Jews at the time, though, they were, ups they were getting a little nervous because they're talking about a kingdom and an invasion of heaven and they're living moral lives and they're helping poor people. But they're talking about this kingdom. They live still in Roman times. So the Jews had to shut them down 
because they were caught, they, if they're talking about this kingdom, they're like, those crazy people who believe in Jesus, they're gonna cost us our place in this Roman Empire. So now they got trouble from the Jews and they got trouble from the Roman Empire because they're talking about this Messiah. But then there's this confusion in that world. They're going, they're going, what? But they're, they're really nice and they're not talking about beating anyone up and you know, they, they have sex only with, with, one, you know, with their spouse. That was a big deal because it was very immoral culture. So what was it? They're marked by love, kindness for the poor. They lived moral lives and they talked about this kingdom that you could be a part of here and now that was bringing heaven on earth. That was the apostolic mindset. And Jesus uses, we'll see this term that Paul uses here in a minute. He actually uses a Greek term that is not known to Hebrew culture, the apostle, the sent one, the one who comes and, sh and brings his culture of another world into that world. He uses a secular term so they would understand what God had called them to do during their time. It's interesting. It, it's this, this idea, I, I like it, uh, Calvin termed it, and it was this term that I, I, I really appreciate, it was called common grace, and it was that just because someone was, was, was not born again, they still were made in the image of God, and they could, they could present beauty to the earth, because they were made in the, like, how could, how could um, you know, this person who's totally born again and, you know, they're living an immoral life. How did they, they create such a beautiful song? It's because there was, they still have the image of God in the inside of them and the ability to create beauty for the earth around them. Amen. God is not afraid of the world. He just wants it redeemed through him. Amen. And ignorance will cost us. There's no blessing in being dumb. I'm serious wasn't planning on saying this, but you know, uh, I've used this example before. I believe it was 1950, I forget the exact year, but you can actually read the story and I encourage you to read it, it's a great book. It's Lauren Cunningham's, uh, The Book That Changed the World and it's about how the Bible has the ability to actually change nations. But he tells this story that in America, uh, Hollywood producers and directors, they wrote letters to um, Christian college presidents at the time, and I don't remember the exact year, I, don't have, I wasn't planning on saying this, uh, and he, they said, send us your best and brightest and send them here because we want, to, we want to allow them to help shape what comes out of Hollywood. And the response of the Christian college presidents was, we'd rather, we'd rather uh, them go to hell than to help you. So Hollywood went to hell. Why? Because they had a world view. The re and there's a reason God emphasized that point that I wasn't. Your world view will define you. The believers then, the prevailing thought was they had, a, they, had a, they had a vision that was irrelevant to the world. They're like, our job is to get people to go to heaven. And so they taught that. It wasn't bad because they, they were going to heaven after they died. But while they, while, they, while they waited in their 90, 60, 50 years on earth, the earth was going to hell. They got what they believed. You will get what you believe in your life. Yeah, that's true. Ephesians chapter four. 
this re-emphasis. So we got a little understanding there of Paul's worldview. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Then he, here it is again. There is one, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. So this is really important. When you come into the kingdom of God, you are in Christ, and there is a unique expression that God created when he created you. That's really exciting. There's never, ever been anyone like you. And you were unique, and you were, you were put on this earth for a specific time period, for a specific season, to fulfill God's command of filling the earth with the knowledge of God. But there are things that you, you there are gifts, there are different things that you are drawn to. There are things that excite you that don't excite me. There, there are expressions and, and, and things that, that you just find, you know, it's, it's unique to you. <clears throat> And the reason I'm emphasizing that as well is that when you come into the kingdom of God, it's very important as a leaders in the body of Christ, if you're leaders, and I know there's pastors here, the, the idea is this, that often sometimes the tendency within a, a local church or the tendency has been, and, and I believe that the Lord wants to adjust it, is that often we reproduce people who are all the same and we talk them out of the things that are exciting to them. Like, you know, young man like, might like rap music. And we're like, oh, no, no, yeah, you know, no, no rap, no rap, we worship music. And there might be a season where God has that young man put down rap, but there's a reason he's drawn to rap. And so the goal of local bodies and my goal as a leader, my body is the congregation, my, my, my congregation is the world right now, the goal is not to reproduce other Abner Suarez's. Yeah, right. Sometimes if you go to another school ministry, you know, you go to school ministry and there's a prominent person who leads it, you know, there's this tendency to be like, want to be like the leader. And there's nothing wrong with that in a sense. And it, it, should, be, it should be along this lines like this. Every local body which God births should be like a family. You're going to have similar DNA. You're going to have certain values that God has emphasized through you. But one of the most brilliant things my parents ever did is they never tried to make me like them. They put values in me, and I look like my father when I was a little boy, but I am not my father. He is in marketplace. He's in real estate. He asked me one day, do you like to do this? I can teach you about it. I said, Dad, I just don't. That's not really, now I'm getting into it, but uh, that's not really an interest right now. And he never put any, he, what he taught me was put God first, work really hard, and you can do anything God tells you you can do. Amen. So the point of that is personhood never precedes purpose. You'll see here, this is, this is a, um, a pattern in scripture. You'll see in 1 Kings 1.10, it says that 
Well, I, I, we don't even read it, but you'll see that. Uh, talking. About, oh, yeah, well, we'll read it. First Kings 1.10, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet. No, notice the scripture never says the prophet Nathan because God always puts personhood before function and office. Paul, when he wrote his letters, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 1, I, Paul, called to be an apostle. He doesn't say, I'm the apostle Paul. Personhood preceded purpose. That's why you can have different prophets or apostles or teachers and different things. And they're, you, they're same office, but different expression because of the way that God has wired them. Paul would later say this, that, uh, that the manifold wisdom of God, when, when, when he uses that word, there's a, there's a picture presented by those words and the, and the picture presented is like these jewels, these beautiful jewels that are multivariated, they're multi-expressed that the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church, the principalities and powers. What's he saying? That I have a unique personhood. There are things I'm drawn to. There are things I like. I might move in miracles. I might move in prophecy. I can teach. I can write all these different things. And Neil maybe has a very similar office, but he, he expresses it completely differently because he's reaching a different group of people. Amen. The important thing is we don't, we don't talk you out of how you be, the things that you love expressing Jesus. Amen. Thank you for the one Amen. Still right anyway. And it's also important that we don't get people filled up just with activities of the local church that they don't have time to express those things that God has called them to do. Listen, I, I don't know how many times I teach, you know, I could preach teacher 320 times a year or something, but I'm not a person who believes we should have the people of God in church every night of the week. Church building, I should say, or church activities or different things. So Paul continues, verse seven, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now he emphasizes this point, and then also in Corinthians he do it, but we're looking at the Ephesians version here. He tells us how he builds his church, and he also tells us how he's going to equip people for the work of the ministry. Therefore he says, when he, and he's speaking of Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. What, is, what does that mean? And he'll, say, he'll, he'll give us the emphasis of what he's doing. Jesus obviously lived, modeled what God intended for all people. He is the first person, first human being on earth since Adam to express God's original intent. So it's important that he lives the perfect life. It's also important that he died, but it's equal, he knew it was equally as important for him to resurrect, the, resurrect from the dead and then sit at the right hand of the Father. The resurrection was the linchpin to everything that he did so you and I could replicate what he wanted us to do. Amen. He led captivity captives. So what does that mean? It gives us this emphasis. He died, he... he um, he died, he, you know, a lot of, most people, I think, he went to hell, he preached, he comes out of the grave, he resurrects, and this is what he does. This is one, he tells us, these are, these are the gifts, well, let me just read this, 
getting ahead of myself. Now this, he ascended, what does it also mean? He first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now notice that emphasis. Paul is actually uh, uh, quote, like giving a look at Psalm 68. And he's giving the look of when the nation of Israel would win a battle and they would have spoils from the war and those spoils would be distributed to the nation of Israel. So he says, here are my gifts from my resurrected life that I'm seated in heaven. And oh, by the way, you're also seated in heavenly places. I'm giving you these gifts. And the reason these gifts are so important is he tells us, look at um, Psalm 68. He also tells us in that verse, but you'll see it emphasized in two places, Psalm 68, verse 10, verse 18, excuse me. You have ascended on high, you have left captivity captives, you have received gifts from among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord might dwell there that the Lord might dwell there. So, so what's he telling us? I've died, I've resurrected. Paul is telling us, now I've given you these gifts and, and it's only through these gifts that I give you and the reason I give you these gifts is that I might dwell among men. So the reason he's giving you these gifts is because he is giving you these gifts so that he could dwell with humanity. So unless you have these gifts, then God is not dwelling with humanity. Really, really important. It's part of the reason why the enemy fights these gifts. And he tells us what they are. And he himself gave some. Notice he tells us that I gave you these gifts that I might dwell with men. He himself gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the equipping. So what's the point? The point is not that we gather around these ministry gifts. It's the point is not simply to go to their seminars and conferences on a Saturday morning. The point is not simply to become partners to their ministry. The point is not simply to live a really good godly life so you can support them to evangelize the world and build churches and get other people saved. The point of these gifts to dwell among men is for what? The equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. It, that verse 13 is really important for anyone who's maybe got a minor thought that these gifts are no longer relevant today. He tells us how long they're relevant. Till we all come to the unity of faith, still hasn't happened. To the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. None of those things have happened that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up into all things unto him who is the head, Christ. Now this verse 16 is really important to him. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. 
Joined together is the picture he's using there in the Greek is this, is like a building being put together where you need all the parts coming together, you know, the foundation, the walls, everything. He's using this imagery here of when, when a body is operating correctly, the members join together like this beautiful building. So the, the building we know he built in the Old Testament, they had a temple with Moses, they had a tabernacle that was traveling, was the pattern of heaven. Now Jesus became the tabernacle Now he tabernacles in you because Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what does he do? The church, the ecclesia, is this living organism brought to come together like a building in the earth to express Jesus in the earth. Now you'll also see, because it's so important that that is the way God God intended to be represented in the earth, you will see that that's why the enemy will seek to bring division, discord, disharmony, this, that, I'm leaving this church, this is not right, I don't like the way this is being done, all this stuff. It's in the foundation of a lot of churches. Well, I just don't think this is right. <laughs> you know, all, these, all these things that, that sometimes quote-unquote believers think are important, they, they don't register in heaven. Listen, When you get to heaven, there's no voting. It's a theocracy, theocracy, there you go, much better put. But like, when you get to heaven, God's not asking you what you think about something. Well, I just don't think the music should be so loud. (laughs) (laughs) And my house is way too big. Where are you going now? You only got two. You might not get there too if you have that attitude. Just truth be told. Like people like, I can't wait to get to heaven. They're not obeying God here on the earth. They might not get to heaven. (laughs) You should tell them that. I tell them that too. I just don't think this is right. You know, Pastor Neil's got all these ideas. I'm not saying you can't address concerns. I'm just saying you better be careful how you do it. Because if you're doing it and causing discord, you're causing God's organism in the earth to come out of alignment. You know, one of the things we know that is um, defining our nation right now is um, a blatant anti-Christ spirit against authority, with authority helping them in a lot of places. And I think it's really important to recognize as the people of God, before we point our finger at the world, that you have to realize the rebellion that exists in your own family. I see believers even say the craziest things about people they disagree with. that idiot governor of ours. That's scary stuff right there. I might disagree with someone. I disagree with our current governor. I lived in one of the most shut down states. I pray for him every day. Changes how I think about him. Really careful what I say about him. 
But see, if people feel as believers free to express themselves like that about their leaders openly, what are they saying about their spiritual leaders? And part of why we have to be aware of this as believers is because we're Americans. We have an independent spirit built within the fabric of our culture. 